0: Jesus' counsel for last day Christians. Welcome to the class. There's, there is a wonderful words of Jesus here in Mark chapter thirteen. I'll read these verses to you guys. It's kind of our it's our our text for the for this series, I do believe. And so let's just take a moment here and read this. It says, "Later, Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives across the valley." From the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew came to him privately and asked him, Tell us, when will all this happen? So he, he had previously told them about the final days, the end times. He's gonna return and, and so they're 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 asking, you know, when will all this happen? What sign will show us that these things are about to be fulfilled? And these are the, the same questions we're still asking today. When will he return? When will all this happen? Lord, when, when, when? And, and so, you know, Jesus tells us what's, what's going to happen. Not just here, but he tells us other places as well in the Bible. But verse 5 says, Jesus replied, Don't let anyone mislead you, for many will come in my name, claiming I am the Messiah. They will deceive many, and you will hear of wars and threats of wars. But don't panic. Yes, these things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. Nation will go to war against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in many parts of the world as well as famines, but this is only the first of the birth pains with more to to come. Verse 9, when these things begin to happen, watch out. You will be handed over to the local councils and beaten in the synagogues. You will stand trial before governors and kings because you are my followers. But this will be your opportunity to tell them about me. For the good news must first be preached to all nations. But when you are arrested and stand trial, don't worry in advance about what to say. Just say what God tells you at that time, for it is not you who will be speaking, but the Holy Spirit. A brother will betray his brother to death. A father will betray his own child, and children will, will, will rebel against their parents and cause them to be killed. And everyone will hate you because you are my followers, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. So what would Jesus say to us? During these perilous times. And the first thing that we see here in this chunk of text is essentially Jesus is telling us to, to, to be enlightened. Understand a little bit here because he's saying, don't let, Jesus actually says, don't let anyone mislead you. And Pastor Tim spoke on this chunk of text last week on being enlightened. And, and so essentially there is going to be be people who come who claim to be the Messiah. But they will not, they will mislead many, and don't let this person mislead you. It does make me think about, you know, we we will, we call him the Antichrist, the man who will bring peace to the world. We believe that the rapture will take place, the church will go up to meet Jesus in the clouds, and then of course the entire world falls into chaos, and there will be one man calling the Antichrist. He will he will come onto the scene he will bring peace he'll bring order he will bring stability he will actually begin to bring even prosperity back to the nation he'll he'll solve all the problems that have taken place and and he'll claim to be the Messiah and he'll do that for three and a half years and then once he has what the enemy does he is still to this day he'll lure you in through peace uh, 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 a a sense of this is good. He'll, he'll draw all, everybody unto himself. It's like the enemy still does this today. I mean, if the enemy would reveal what your eternal fate would be in hell, nobody would fall for the enemy's tricks. So he ain't dumb. He ain't going to come up to you and, and, and give you all the bad stuff because you wouldn't take it. So he lures you in thinking the partying is good, the drugs is good, the alcohol is good, the, the, the sex is good, the, the, this lifestyle is good. He's going to lure you in. And then as the years go on, you find that it led to death. It led to destruction. It caused you to be bound up in chains. You thought to yourself, I fell for the enemy's tricks. I can't believe I fell for it. And that's exactly what the Antichrist is going to do. He's going to trick everybody so the first three and a half years will be good, and then the second three and a half years will just be hell on earth. And, and, and he'll trick everybody. And it's essentially what Jesus, don't let this happen. Don't, don't, don't let this happen to you. Don't be misled, but be enlightened. And the second thing that Jesus would say to us is, is be calm. And we're really going to focus on this tonight, so I won't go into it much. And then he says, be ready. Be ready in verse 9. He tells us to be ready. He says, when these things begin to happen, watch out. Be, be ready. I check the weather every day on my phone. I, I'm obsessed with the weather. I not only look at my weather, but then I'll look at another place's weather and go, well, I wish our weather was that weather." And right, because we live in Michigan, it's a little bit bad weather most of the time. So you know, you're 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 constantly like looking out. You're you're watching out for the weather. You're you're watching. You're paying attention. And and you know, if we check the Word of God as often as we check the weather, we'd be better off. If we if we focused in on the Word of God as much as we check our our bank account. We'd be better off, so we just got to be ready. we got to watch out The fourth thing he says is be busy be busy and, and I'll touch a little bit on this tonight too, but but mostly focus on being calm but being busy says for the good, verse 10 the good news must first be preached to all nations and that's why we go on missions that's why we reach the, the neighboring parks and, 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 and in neighborhoods and little towns to, to help and to reach out and to lead as many to the Lord and we, that's why we do missions. This is what one of the reasons why we do it is because Jesus tells us to get out there and be busy. And then He says to be filled, be filled. Jesus is so important. He tells us, don't worry when when they take you captive, when they put you on trial, don't worry what to say. The Holy Spirit will, will give you the words just when you need them. So we got to always be filled and ready, ready when when we're ready to go. You know, when Jesus was walking this earth, there was a moment with His disciples where He must have been separated from His disciples. I mean, you know. We're, they weren't always right on Jesus's hip, twenty-four hours a day, right? So there was a time where they where they would be around, going around town. And they had encountered his disciples had encountered a demon possessed man, but these disciples they couldn't cast the demon out. And then Jesus walks into the scene, and they go, Jesus, what? Why couldn't we cast this one out? And well, what does Jesus say? He says, Well, this one comes out by by fasting. And then Jesus speaks to the demon and pulls them out, and casts him out. And Jesus was ready. In season and out of season. He was ready. And so Jesus is always telling us to be filled, be ready, continually continually praying and fasting, being filled with the Holy Spirit, be ready to go. And the last thing he tells us is to be strong. Be strong, because those who endure to the end will be saved. That's what it says in verse 13. But this is really can be affectionately described as the beginning of sorrows. If you just went on YouTube tonight or tomorrow and you typed in the beginning of sorrows, you would get all these sermons that would pop up about end times. The the math, Mark thirteen, Matthew twenty four. You'd get sermons based upon those chapters in the Bible. This is really called the beginning of sorrows, and Jesus can even explains it as a woman going into labor. And he actually says that it is like a, the beginning of sorrows. This will be like a woman going into labor. Jesus says that. Now, why would he say that? Why would he compare it to labor? It's because in the middle of the pain, the, the woman is going through all this pain. But what is at the end of the journey of pain is joy. That's why he describes it like this. And it talks about, Jesus actually references this point a little bit further in John chapter 16, verses 19 through 22. And I'll read that little thing to you right now. It says, Jesus realized they wanted to ask him about it. So he said, are you asking yourselves what I meant? I said in a little while you won't see me, but a little while after that you will see me again. I tell you the truth, you will weep and mourn over what is going to happen to me, but the world will rejoice. You will grieve, but your grief will suddenly turn to wonderful joy. It will be like a woman suffering the pains of labor when her child is born. Her anguish gives way to joy because she has brought a new baby into the world. So you have sorrow now, but I will see you again. Then you will rejoice, and no one can rob you of that joy. My wife has given birth to three children. Hopefully no more. And uh, pray for me. Um, <laughs> She wants more kids- you know she wants kids, so three I tell her to say this rhyme, three is enough for me. Just say it with me, declare it in the name of Jesus, and so you know she gives she gives birth to the first child, the labor lasts for six to eight hours, but then what happens after the baby is born she she can't even remember the labor pains, right. Then the second one comes, and uh, that's our boy. He's coming out, and uh, I'm going to a, uh, I got tickets to the Pistons game, and I pick up my dad, and I'm uh, taking Jen to the house, to my parents' house, and the girls are going to hang out, and the guys are going to go to the Pistons game, and we're driving to the house, and um, I'm noticing she's like breathing heavy, and uh <sighs> I'm like, what are you doing over there? She's like, ah, you know, just some, just some Braxton Hicks. I'm like, are you sure? She's like, oh, it's fine, it's fine. Well, she knows, she knows, she's had a baby before. She knows what she's doing. So, I go inside my parents' house, and uh, um, I noticed that she just goes to the couch and she lays down. She just lays down on the couch on her side and just kind of puts her knees up, and um, she's uh, she, <laughs> she's on the couch grimacing like this. <sighs> And my mom goes, are you going into labor? Oh, no, no, I'm not. I'm fine. I'm not going to labor. I'm not going to labor. And um, I'm like, Dad, are you ready to go, to go to the Pistons game? Are you ready to go to the game? I'm excited. Let's do this. And uh, he goes, uh, I don't know. It looks like your wife might be going to labor. I'm like, she says she's not. And uh, he goes, I don't know. Maybe you should go to the hospital. Instead, I was like, what? I want to go to the business game. I don't want to go to the hospital. And uh, so I'm like, I'm, let's go to the hospital. Jen, let's go to the hospital. I, she's like, no, I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm like, no, let, let's just go to the hospital. Let's just see what's going on. I'm telling you that as soon as we get in the car to go to the hospital, she says, step on it. <laughs> really? <laughs> go right now. I'm driving to the hospital as fast as I can. We arrive in the hosp- to the hospital. 30 minutes later, a baby is in our arms. 30 minutes later after arriving. She didn't even have a Motrin in her. Not even an IV in her arm. We were sitting in the waiting. We were sitting in the little, they do this little pre-op. And they, answer, they ask you questions. She like, the third question, she goes, could you stop with these questions? Get me to the labor room now. She said, oh, okay. This guy's like, oh, Okay. In the, that, it was it. That was it. And and but the baby is in our arms. You know, I remember the doctor came in, and, 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 and he, she goes, "Honey, this this, this lady was about this tall. S- she's in like super good shape. She looked like Mighty Mouse. Exactly what she looked like. She and she acted like Mighty Mouse too. You know, the smaller they are, the tougher they're. And so she came in. She's like, "Well, we could have the baby in your arms in fifteen minutes, or I give you an epidural. It'll take three hours." she chose 15 minutes. And as soon as the baby's in her arms, she didn't care once about that delivery. She is so happy to have the baby in her arms. And Jesus just does describe his return to us like this. The 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 what what the Bible calls it the beginning of sorrows. It it is like that. It is this process where where you, it, it is it's going to be a trial. There's these things happening, but when he returns, you will not remember the pain anymore. Isn't that great? And and so he goes through some things here, because there's going to be during these times there's going to be spiritual deception. <laughs> Somebody just whispered, that's for sure. There, and, and maybe you see it already, right? You see it taking place even right now. There's going to be wars. And rumors of wars, Jesus says. Ezekiel 38 in your Bible actually talks about the war taking place right now. It talks about the king of the north. The king of the north in the country Rosh, which is now translated Russia. Yeah, you can read it for yourself in Ezekiel 38. There's the king of the north of the, of the country Rosh, which is translated Russia. Revelation actually says that there will be an alliance between Russia and China. Yeah, it's taking place right now. Then the Bible actually begins to go on to say, and it says that Russia and China will then align with Iran and Syria, and it's taking place right now. Did you know that off the, off the coast of Israel, you can see Russian warships in the water? Right now. Right now. There's, there's, there's actually everything that is happening right now is in the Bible. You can read it for yourself. So there's spiritual deception. There's wars. There's rumors of wars. There's earthquakes, famines, plagues, pestilence. Does this sound familiar to anybody? So if we think about the most current pestilence that's taking place, COVID, right? But, but listen, listen to other things that I can describe that feel as if they are, they are happening at a higher rate than ever before. Cancers. Uh, HIV has entered the scene not just you know, 30 years ago. These things, there's strange diseases among us today that were not among us 100 years ago, 200 years ago, 1,000 years ago. They didn't deal with these things. And, and, And so you see these earthquakes still. There's famines, there's plagues, there's pestilence. There's things among us that Jesus told us would be here. And then Jesus begins to say that there's persecution of believers. Right now, the most... Persecuted religion in the the world, the most persecuted religion in the world is Christianity. And it's not even close. And And the country that persecutes Christianity the most is Egypt. Which might shock you. You might have thought it would have been a different country. But it's Egypt. Why is it Egypt? It's because Egypt persecutes Christians right away. Right away, did you know if your child is, a, is an Egyptian, but they're a Christian, you send them to school, even at elementary age, because they're a Christian, they will not let that child play sports. They will not let that child join a club. They will not let that child have an extracurricular activity. Isn't that horrible? If you're a Christian in Egypt, they, they lock you down economically. They will not let you get high-paying jobs and not let you do it. You're not allowed to convert to Christianity. So how does the Christian Christianity grow in Egypt? Well, there are converts, except they're just secret converts. But you can be born into Christianity. But just having a child, having a child if you're a Christian parents and you have a child and you raise them Christian, they will have a very difficult life right away, even as an elementary age kid going off to school. You're not allowed to become highly educated. In Egypt, they will not let you go to schools. Matter of fact, you know, we have our missionary in Egypt right now. He is secretly building a four story uh, 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 school for higher education purposes to educate Christians. He's secretly doing it. He's taking funds from the back doors, from us, behind the doors. He's hiring contractors and having to pay them a little bit more to not tell authorities that this is a church, religion, or based kind of a, a project. People are willing to do the work for a little bit more money and not say a word about it. He's secretly doing it, and it's unbelievable. It's getting done. I don't know if you get, if you follow him on Facebook or not, but he makes posts every now and then. This building is amazing. Look at what it says, um, Matthew 25, verse 40. And the king will say, I tell you the truth. When you did it to one of the least of these my brothers and sisters, you are doing it to me. And that least of these is actually translated persecuted Christians. That's how it's translated. So it says, Jesus is saying, saying this, that I tell you the truth, when you did it to one of the persecuted Christians, the brothers and sisters, you are doing it to me. Isn't that cool? Number five, God's, Jesus says there will be family division. Now, if you think about family division, you know, the family has been attacked by the enemy from the very beginning. From the very beginning. We see that before Jesus even entered the earth, that that there was problems with the families. I mean, Moses allowed divorce only because the people were complaining so much about being married to their spouse, and he was so tired of the complaints he just he allowed them to get divorced but it was never God's plan. And then we saw that 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 families would sacrifice their children to the fires for the god Molech. How nasty and horrible is that? I mean, the family has been being attacked since the beginning of time. So when you kind of hear God, Jesus say like, you know, brother will betray brother and, and, and father will betray child. All that has been always been happening, but actually Jesus takes it a step further, which is something that culturally speaking was unheard of back then. He says a child will betray their parents and have them murdered because of their faith. Now that is the next step that, that, culturally speaking, had never happened before. But I can see with my eyes right now, there's so much rebellion in children, teenagers, young people. So much rebellion. I, could, I, I, I wouldn't even think it, it, it odd that a child give up a parent because they're a Christian. And the times we're living in now. And so that's what Jesus actually takes a step further. He actually says that that we can read it again if you want to, but it says there in Mark chapter 13, a brother will betray his brother to death. A father will betray his own child and children will rebel against their parents and cause them to be killed. Now, if you think about a child, the deception of the enemy, a child causing like somehow ratting out their parents and causing them to be killed that's like you standing on a pedestal and you're, and, you're, and you're a thousand feet up in the air and you're standing on a pedestal and you take a big sledgehammer and you just knock it out from underneath you and fall to your own death. That's what a child's doing. How is a child supposed to survive without the support of a parent? How is a child supposed to, supposed to live, supposed to be supportive for fed, provided for clothes, given a bed at night? Why, how, how could a child want to knock out the very foundation that gives them life? That's how nasty the enemy is. And so we've got to be careful about the family division and protect our families and pray for our families. And And then it gets pretty good because at the end of all this, Jesus says that there will be this mass advancement of the gospel. And some preachers, I love the preachers who preach this, but some preachers will preach these amazing messages about how the end times are the best times is because there's going to be this tremendous advancement of the gospel. There's going to be revival throughout the world. A a mass advancement of the gospel, a multiplying, rapid movement of the gospel. It says the gospel will spread faster than ever before. And as a matter of fact, today the gospel is spreading faster than it's ever spread before because of things like YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, because of some of these that gospel is spreading faster than ever before. I think about even how we do missions now. 30 years ago, 40 years ago, the church would send out a girl to a foreign country with tracks and she would, she would spend her entire life savings walking around the the city, handing out tracts, hoping somebody would read a pamphlet and give their life to the Lord, and then she'd come home broke, sick, lonely, discouraged from the time spent on the mission field. We would send missionaries out, and and they would get such small results. But you know how we do missions now? We fill 45,000-seat stadiums. In a week and, and we bring medical aid to thousands of people and, and we don't break the we don't break ourselves doing it and we don't drain our bank accounts doing it. As a matter of fact, now what we do is is we rally an entire church. And we can send out 150 people at once, and we go with aid, and we go with food, and we go with the message of Jesus, and we go with with resources, and we bring we bring so much stuff, and then we land, we hit the ground running, and at the end of the week, with 40,000 people have given their lives to the Lord, 10,000 people received free medicine, and we fed children, and we visited prisons and orphanages, and we hit the streets, and we came home, and we did, we, and the church then gave them an extra hundred thousand dollars. That's how we do missions now. It's the gospel is spreading at a faster pace than ever before. It's amazing, isn't it? We can reach the world. We're doing it, but it's going to cost us something. Are we willing to pay the price both literally and figuratively? Are we willing to do it? Can we do it? We do it, church, don't we? Man, it's amazing now what we can do. Do you know right now with the craziness happening with Russia and Ukraine, churches are rallying like crazy right now. Did you know that there are churches on the ground of Ukraine right now as we speak? And they are going around and they are grabbing Ukrainian children and bringing them back to America. Children whose, whose, whose homes or apartments have been bombed and, or fa- parents who are missing. Whatever the case may be, right now as we speak, we're on the ground in Ukraine rescuing children, feeding people. And you know what we're doing? We're sending over airplanes, 747s full of food, full of resources. That's what churches around America are doing right now. What we do now is greater than anything that's ever been done before in the history of humanity. We are living in the end times. It's amazing. If we are going to save the world, we've got to learn to pay the price. Hmm. Unfortunately, you know what? The church is famous for arriving too late with too little. But it's about time we arrive early with too much. Don't you think? We can do it. So Jesus is... Last day counsel, I told you I wanted to really focus on when Jesus tells us to be calm. And so the end of this message, really the, the heart of my message tonight is this, is be calm. The king is here. There is a remedy for worry in these end times, and I'm going to give it to you, okay? Isn't it great when, you're, when the doctor gives you the medicine to make you better? You know, there's a, there's a remedy for worry, and I'm going to give it to you tonight. Amen? I just finished reading, just finished reading the, the book in the Bible, Esther. It's just 10 chapters long. I mean, you could sit down, it's such a good story. You could read it in one sitting, no problem at all. And, uh, and I just finished Esther this morning. And, and it, Esther is a wonderful story. Yeah, it's this crazy story about how the, there's a king. And, and, and he's got this up. He's doing this big party and it's lasting for weeks on end. And, and everybody's drunk and happy and, and, and just loving life. And he has, apparently, he's got a queen who is a beautiful woman. And all the guys are sitting around and he just has this great idea. You gotta see my queen. So he ta- he calls the eunuchs and he's like, come on. I want you to go get my queen. I want you to go put the robe on her. Put that gold and crown with all those gems and diamonds on her head. I want you to make sure she looks beautiful. And I want you to bring her on in here. I want to show her off. So the eunuchs run out. And they get to the queen. They tell her what's the, what the king wants. And you know what she does? She refuses to come into that room. Refuses. So the eunuchs come back to the king and they're said, your, your, your queen, I I think her name was Vashti or something like that. Queen Vashti. She ain't coming in. You know, nobody ever disobeys the king. If you disobeyed the king, he'd put you to death. And so he says, kill her. I'll find a new queen. And he goes, he gets this great idea. I'll do a whole, I'll do a huge beauty contest, right? We're gonna we're gonna gather the most beautiful girls throughout my entire kingdom. I want you to gather them all. up. They've all got to be virgins, and and for for six months we're gonna lo- we're gonna lotion them up. <laughs> I'm serious. This is what happens. We're g- we're going to lotion them. We're going we're gonna to keep them indoors because that wasn't good back then. If you're you outdoors and tan, you, you weren't pretty back then. We're going we're gonna to keep them indoors. We're going to lotion them up. We're going to oil them up. We're going to clean them up for six months. And after six months is over, I just want you to bring one at a time. and just, just I want to stare at one at a time. I want to just see, see what they are. And he ends up falling in love with one of them in particular. And her name was Esther. And she was a Jew. And she was the niece of Mordecai. And, and she was a virgin. And, and, and she had, unfortunately, right, been selected. And it, when you, if you were a girl who had been selected for this process, you were terrified. Because you had just heard that the queen, the queen was just murdered for disobeying the king. And what's he going to ask me to do? if I don't know if I want to do it. And so she's almost, it's like a slave. It's a slave, slave mentality. It's just a nasty situation that she's found herself in. But she has found favor with the king. And the king has a right-hand man. His name is Haman. And he's as evil and mean and cruel as the king is. And Haman has a great idea one day and says, I believe, I think every single person in the kingdom should bow to you. I think they should worship you. And the king says, Oh, what a wonderful idea. Ah, right? He's just full of himself. He loves himself some. It's himself, you know, and uh, and so why don't we do this, King? Why don't we take you on your horse and your chariot, and we will slowly ride you through the city streets, and every knee will bow to you as you ride by. What do you think? Wonderful idea, Haman! Wonderful idea. So that's what they do. They mount him up on his horse, and 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 they they, they start riding the streets. And what do you know? It one man refuses to bow, his name was Mordecai, and as they are riding through. The city streets, one man is standing, one man, and it's Mordecai. And Haman becomes so enraged that Mordecai refuses to bend his knee to the king that he decides that he's going to murder Mordecai. He's going to murder him. He's gonna he's gonna take him out, and he and he's talking about this with his wife and with his friends in his house, and he's having this discussion about killing Mordecai and doing all this stuff. And then he and then he says to himself, oh, "Why Mordecai is a Jew? You know what?" But his wife says, "Why don't you not not just Mordecai? Why don't you why don't you have the king write an edict and sign it with his ring? Why and 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 when that when the king would sign something with his ring, when he would dip his ring in the wax and seal it like that, it was a Edict that can never be changed. Why don't you get the king to sign it with his ring and make a whole thing of it? And why don't we get just kill every single Jew in the entire kingdom? That's how evil Haman is. That's how evil his wife is. That's how evil his children are and his friends are as they sit in the house and think about this plan. I mean, could you imagine being so angry with one person that you're ready to kill millions? And they come up with this plan and he, he kind of tricks the king into it and the king signs it and they sent it out and word begins to spread all over the kingdom and went, goes throughout all the provinces that all the Jews are going to be killed and it was actually going to happen on a, on a date. And the Jews on a certain date, but the Jews were not allowed to fight back. That was part of the plan. Weeping, mourning, laying in ashes, sackcloth, everything is happening in Mordecai. Mordecai. Mordecai ends up hearing about the plan. Here's here's guards talking about talking about the plan before the horses ran out to to deliver the the messages, to deliver the letters to all the towns to let them know what's happening. He overhears the plan. He overhears the guards talking and he, he's able to get a hold of Esther and calls her over to the gate and says, Esther, Esther, if you think you're going to escape this, you're wrong. You're wrong. You're going to be killed too. You need to talk to the king. But she says, I'm not allowed to, unless he calls me into his room. I'm not allowed to go in there. If anybody enters his room without being called in, he's, he, the, he'll, he kills them. He kills them. He, he, and I don't want to die. He goes, well, you're, you're going to die anyway. What are you going to do? You've got to do this. And he says the famous words, you were born for such a time as this. And so he goes, she goes, she gets brave. She gets, she gets some courage. And, and she, she, gets, she decides, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. And once you know it? The king is in his room and she walks in without being invited in. But if the king holds out his golden scepter to you, it means he wants to listen to you. Wouldn't you know it? that she had found favor with the king, that he really liked her. And she walked into the room and he was happy to see her. He was happy to see her, which, which surprised her. And she, he holds out his golden scepter and she reaches up it and touches it, which then she's allowed to speak. So she touches the golden scepter and she's so nervous standing before the king. She doesn't even know how to begin to explain what's happening because the king doesn't know she's a Jew. And he, she says, uh, 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 I want to I serve you a meal. <laughs> she, she, she's too nervous to say it. She's so worried. She's so scared. She's too nervous to say what's going on. Uh, I want to serve you a meal. Oh, oh, And you know the king responds to her, Esther, ask me anything you want, even up to half the kingdom, it is yours. That's how much he loved her. But she says, she's still too nervous. She, oh, I want to serve you a dinner. I want to serve you a meal. And I want you and, and Haman. Just the two of you. Oh, didn't wouldn't you know Haman, that little snake, he was so excited. He goes home to his wife. So excited, so excited. Did you, wouldn't you know It's just me and the king and Esther. And it's just us. It's just us. We got it made. We got it made, honey. We, we're on the inner circle. We're good to go. This is awesome. We got it made. And so they're serving the meal, and, and the, king, the queen Esther is doing her thing, but she is so nervous to tell the king what's going on. The king finally asks her, why are you doing this? Why are you serving me this food? Why are you serving me this drink? Esther, what, what do you want? Up to half the kingdom, is yours, and she, she's still so nervous. She says, oh, I want to serve you another meal tomorrow. Yeah, I want. I'm going to do it again tomorrow night. I want to serve you another meal. You go okay. Just you and Haman. Uh, okay. So they go home. The, the, they all go home. Haman goes home. You know the king goes home. Esther goes to her room, and everybody's there, and 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 Haman's at home. And Haman 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 is talking to his wife, and he realizes he's got he's got so he's got it so good with the king. And he decides he's going to speed up this process of killing the Jews just a little quicker. And his wife says to him, why don't you build tonight? Why don't you build a 75-foot-tall gallow to kill Mordecai tomorrow? Just to make a statement. Yeah, I'll do that. And wouldn't you know it? That in one night, he sent men out into that 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 palace courtyard, and they just begin working, and they build a seventy-five foot tall gallows, a, just a, for just a huge seventy-five foot tall structure to hang one man on, to 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 let all the kingdoms see what's coming your way, let those Jews know what's coming, but it picks up here in verse in, in Esther chapter six verse one. I want to read this verse to you. Because this is, this is after, this is after that, that night of, of the dinner and, and the king goes back to his room and he's laying in bed. It says that night, the king could not sleep. So one was commanded to bring the book of the records of the Chronicles and they were read before the king. You know, this is guy, this guy can't sleep. So what's he know what's he want? You wants know, it's like an old history book read to him so he can doze off, right? This is what he wants. I need something to take my mind off this thing. But you know why he can't sleep? This because right outside his window, they're, they're banging and hammering, and they're building that 75-foot-tall gallow. And they are keeping him awake. And they are, they are messing with him, and they won't let him sleep. But I want to read to you Psalm 121, verse 4. Because my first point to you tonight on the remedy of worry, to keep calm because the king is in the the room, is the king does not sleep. Psalm 121, verse 4. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither sleep nor slumber. Our king does not sleep. That's point number one. We're worried. We're fretting. We're fussing. <laughs> we're, we're, we're laying awake at night. We're in, we got insomnia. We got things in our mind. We got things in our plate. We got stuff to do. We got people to hopefully help us get, will everything line up? We're worried. We're doing all this stuff. And you know what? This king is, is, is like our king. He does not sleep. But it says here that he wants that, that book read to him. He wants the chronicles read to him. And wouldn't you know it? Of all the pages that were about to be read to him, of all the pages and of all the chronicles, of all the writings, of all the historians that could have been read to him, wouldn't you know that this man just randomly flips open the book and he begins to read to him the details that had happened only a few days earlier? Did you know? Because, because they would, they would record records, records, records of all the kings, everything the king did, everything that was going on, everything, everything, everything. They would record, record, record. This is how they kept track of history back then. It was an oral record. And he says, read back to me what's been going on in my kingdom over the last few days. What have I missed? What has been going on? When you know it, he reads to him out of this book that apparently Apparently he has been tricked into signing an edict where all the Jews are going to be murdered. And uh, and then he hears about a man named Mordecai who caught wind of the word that all the Jews were going to get murdered. And he goes, what is going on here? Who is this man Mordecai? And his 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 people begin to explain to him what's going on and who Mordecai is and what's going on in his kingdom and, and and they begin to explain to him who Esther is and that she's a Jew and Mordecai's a Jew and he begins to hear about everything happening and he begins to realize I have been tricked I have been bamboozled but the point number one is the king does not sleep amen Esther verse chapter six verses six through nine. This is what happens. Early the next morning, king doesn't sleep. He calls in Haman. He's caught wind of what's going on here. So Haman came in, it says in verse 6, and the king said, what should I do to honor a man who truly pleases me? Haman, he thinks it's about him. But he's talking about Mordecai. The king is talking about Mordecai. But he, Haman is an idiot. He thinks it's talking about him. He doesn't understand nothing. He says, what should I do to honor a man who truly pleases me? Haman thought to himself, whom would the king wish to honor more than me? So he replied, if the king wishes to honor someone, he should bring out one of the king's own royal robes, as well as a horse that the king himself has ridden, one with a royal emblem on its head. Let the robes of the horse be handed over to one of the king's most noble officials, and let him see that the man whom the king wishes to honor is dressed in the king's robes, and led to the city square on the king's horse. Have the officials shout as they go, this is what the king does for someone he wishes To honor. Point number two The king asks, Has this man or woman been rewarded? The king is looking to reward us. Amen, church? Not harm us. The king is looking to reward us. Reward us. Amen, church? This is the remedy for where you understand who our king is. Number three, The king will make your enemies proclaim your good works. Amen? Verse 10 in chapter 6 of Esther says, Excellent, the king said to Haman, quick, take the robes of my horse and do just as you've said for Mordecai the Jew who sits at the gate of the palace, leave out nothing you have suggested. So Haman took the robes and put them on Mordecai, placed him on the king's own horse, led him through the city, shouting, this is what the king does for someone he wishes to honor. And Haman is embarrassed. He is shamed as he walks through the city. He is, he is just low as low can be after everything is he had, he had to do this. This is what the king made Haman do for Mordecai. And then point number four, the last point tonight is the king's anger is for justice. Amen. That the evil that happens in this world will be judged correctly. And the king's anger is for true justice. And thank God that our God is a great judge who's ruled in our favor, who does not sleep or slumber, but looks to reward us for our good works and our pleasant life, amen, church, looks to get our enemies under our feet, and his anger is not for us. His anger is for justice. Amen? Woo, this is good. And it ends, the story ends, with the 75-foot gallows that Haman had built. in one night, that kept the king awake, that caused the king to open up the book of history, that caused the king to hear about the story of Mordecai and how he had been tricked by Haman, those very gallows that all were meant for Mordecai, Haman was hung on those very gallows the very next day. It says in verse 10 of chapter 7, so they impaled Haman on the pole he had set up for Mordecai, and the king's anger subsided. The last point is that the king will rule in the end and his anger will subside. And we will live forever with the king in paradise, perfection, joy, peace, no more pain, no more sorrow, no more sickness, no more death, none of it. It will all subside once justice is served. Amen. This is the remedy for worry. This is the keep calm. The king is here. This is what Jesus tells us. He tells us to keep calm. He, uh, you know, last week, Pastor Tim told us to be enlightened. This week, we're talking about just being calm. And I know, I know I I, I lay in bed at night, just like you. I lay in bed at night thinking to myself, how This is unfair. The injustice is too much. These people who are in charge and controlling the world are ruining my life. They're taking away my joy. They're ruining my sleep. God, when will you bring these people down? He will. He does not sleep. He does not slumber. He's looking to reward us. His anger is for justice, but his anger will subside one day. And it's not toward, his anger is not toward us. Amen, church. This is the remedy for worry. This is how we sleep good at night. This is what happens. And I want to end these last minutes that we have. I just want to pray for you because I know what it's like. I know when you, I know it's like when you can't sleep at night, maybe there's a doctor's visit that you're not looking forward to. There's a child, there's a teenager in your house that's causing you pain that's causing you to lose sleep that's causing you to worry I know I know I know that there's things the checkbook ain't looking good I know that finances aren't aren't looking the way you thought they'd look I know that you went to the gas station today and you put $10 in the tank it's just enough to get you to the next pump (laughs) you know you weren't going far anyway I know. I know you're looking at those grocery store pro- bills at the end of the, that, that visit, and you're like, that, didn't, that, that wasn't enough food. I know. And you're worried, and you're wondering, when is it going to happen? And you look at the news, and you hear, the, you hear, you hear quotes from people, and you go, no, that, that, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. That's not what we need to do. We need to do the opposite of what you just said. Why would you say that? Are we in crazy town? Are we living in a crazy world? I'm getting angry. But the remedy for worry the king is on our side. He does not sleep. He's looking to reward us. He will make he will make our even our enemies proclaim our goodness. And his anger is for justice, but his anger will subside. Let me pray for you. Oh Lord. Oh Lord, I pray tonight, Lord God, there would be such a peace and a rest that would overtake. Our minds and our hearts, Lord God, I pray that we would have confidence in knowing that we serve the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, and he is in control, and I know right now it 's the labor pains, Lord God, Lord, I know it, I know it's the labor pains, but Lord God, there will soon there will be a soon return of your son Jesus, and we will no longer remember the pain, but Lord God, we will be experiencing joy. Because you have returned. And Lord God, I pray that we'd be able to stand strong. Stand strong in these days. Lord God, that we would not let worry be on our lips. We would not let worry be in our minds. But Lord God, we would overcome. Lord God, we would proclaim good things. We would... would talk about good things we would not let the prices of things determine our, our 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 spirits and our and how we're going to be in a good mood today because you know gas prices finally went down that's not what it's about god lord i'm happy because i'm i'm saved i'm going to heaven jesus is my lord and savior he died for me he's alive and i'm gonna live forever and I'm thankful for these things, Heavenly Father. So, Lord God, I pray let peace be in our cup. Let joy be in our cup. Lord God, tonight when we lay our heads down, Lord God, would you even begin to minister to us, Heavenly Father. And let, let, us, let us understand that you are looking to reward us. Lord God, I pray that anybody in here is worried about a doctor's visit or a doctor's report or something coming up of that nature. Lord God, I pray that you would begin to speak peace to them, Jesus. Peace healing. the, the, The days you've lost are going to be restored in the name of Jesus Christ. And everybody said, amen. Amen, amen, amen. You're officially dismissed. Have a great night, you guys.